No, that ain't it. That ain't it either. Okay, you can have it, but you can't have that. That's my baby. Right. And that's the five people that actually like that movie or have seen it. Searching for Bobby Fischer. Highly recommend that movie. Very, very good. All right. Where do we sign up? Where do you sign up? This is how sign-ups work. You just say, I want to do that too. And you talk to Jessica. Okay. Right there. Um, or if you get the Kairos California emails, which if you don't, please get them. And please check them because, guys, you know what I noticed? There's a correlation between people feeling left out and not checking the emails. <laughs> it's really amazing how that works, you know. Um, okay, so. Uh, sign up for the email on the table back there. Fantastic. Um, oh yeah, yes, I just remembered this. I've been wanting to do this for like a month and a half, and I just remembered. Okay. <laughs> all right, we'll continue with that in a second. Um, all right, wow, all right. Um, no lying right now. I'm being funny, but just bear with me here. Whose favorite book in the Word is First or or Second Corinthians? Raise your hand. First or Second Corinthians? Close. Okay, we only get one each. Okay, fantastic. Whose favorite book is Mark? Mark. Mark, the Power Gospel, Cast Out Demons. Who would who who doesn't even know that the Book of Mark is all about walking in the power and authority of Christ? Anybody didn't know that? Here you go. First hand. Read that. Okay, Matthew. Got the Sermon on the Mount in there. Anybody, Matthew? Here you go. Yeah. What these are is these are actually passion translations for each one of these books. I know. Okay, who wants the Corinthians? First and second Corinthians. Love verse. You got like all sorts of crazy things, especially Corinthians 15 is amazing. It's all about the body and blood of Christ. Anybody? Not a single human being. Amazing. Oh, yes. This goes to the Pipponi house. Song of Songs. <laughs> I had a feeling that would happen, but yeah. Song of Songs. Okay. Um, Proverbs in the Passion Translation is amazing. Yes. Yes. Philemon. <laughs> and um, how many of you think that, how many of you ever heard and still possibly might believe that Hebrews says you can lose your salvation? Anybody? Anybody still believe that, though? You actually believe that? I, I have the passion. But you still believe that Hebrew says you can lose your salvation? Well, Amen. That's all right. Okay. You can mark that up, you know, make art out of the pages, whatever you want to do. Okay. So Mark, uh, Miracles and Mercy, and First and Second Corinthians, Love and Truth. They're going to be sitting right over here. Yeah, one. Great. That's the Passion Translation. I highly recommend it. Okay. And if you're a translation, you know, Berean... Come and talk to me, because I was a King James only guy for a really long time. I can, I can, I can go toe to toe with that. I, I love it. I, you know, I love me some translation. So, um, really though, I, if you knew me years ago, you know. And I haven't lost any of that zeal for the Word of God and for translation. So, um, I'm highly invested in, um, in pushing uh, the Passion Translation, to say the least. Okay, that was good. I just looked up and saw that. So, if you wanna, if you wanna sign up for emails at that table back there. Um, is that another one too? Nope, that's the one. Okay. Okay, I'm going to talk about some stuff here. Uh, before I get, um, you know what, I'll talk about that at the end. Um, Naomi, could you remind me 
toward the end of what I'm talking about? If you could just remind me, um, uh, just say uh, Africa and Portland. Could you just say that? Freaking awesome. When? Uh, not in 20 minutes, okay. but you know, sometime. Okay. All right. Um, okay, so I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to pray. Is that okay with everybody? Yeah. <laughs> Funny question. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to pray. You guys, this is like so funny. Okay, I'm like looking now. All right, God, I just, um, uh, what you have been doing and what you, you've been saying and what you've been demonstrating and, and, and just uh, absolutely just pushing past whatever our ceilings have been, where they, where they have been put on us or we've put it on ourselves, whatever precedent says, um, whatever the hypothetical lies about, um, I thank you that you have just absolutely seen fit to push past all of it, knocking all of those lesser things down, all of the counterfeits, all of the fakers, all of the lies. I'm talking about demons here. That you just, they're irrelevant. They are just absolutely irrelevant. There's what the enemy says is going to happen, and there's what's actually going to happen. And so right now, I make a dividing wall right now in each of us right now. Right now. That there will be a dividing wall between what the demonic says will happen and what will actually happen. And God, we know that you are for us, not against us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. The demons have to ask your permission to do everything they do and all things work together for those who love you. That you have called to your purpose, which is every single one of us. It's a big setup. It's just a big setup, God. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, God, I ask that you would open up heavenly realities, um, that you would open up tangibly heavenly realities today as you already have begun, and that you would actually open up um, the, our very hearts to see and know and understand what the kingdom is, and that you would let scales fall. Even what we believe what right and wrong is, what we believe is the answer to wrong in the things we see around us in this natural world. God, I ask that the solution, the heavenly solution, that we preach the kingdom itself, the very solution from the throne would be seen clearly and we would give, be given boldness, faith, and wisdom to walk it out. Cover all of it with love, Lord love you, God. We know you love us, that you would expand our capacities, expand our metrons, our, our the, for those of you who know what that means, like the, the area of influence, our, 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 of the things that are unto our hand. God, that you would expand those things and you give us clear paths to walk in it. God, I ask all of this today. In the mighty name of Jesus and the law of love, the very nature of the kingdom in each one of us, let it be done. Amen. 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 Okay. So, many years ago, Bethel Church in Reading, they had this funny thing that started showing up where they had their youth group, and their youth group would meet on Friday nights in Denny's. And they would just meet there. And it's just a normal Denny's, you know, moons over my hammy, you know, get yourself a classic slam. They're just a normal Denny's, okay? And they're hanging out at Denny's. Oh, and any of you guys want to get comfortable and, like, lay on the floor out here or something, it's totally fine. Like, 
You don't have to get all like... <laughs> okay, really. This isn't a lecture series, okay? You can just hang out. All right. Um, all right. So what happened was, is Banding Leapshear, who's now the senior pastor of Jesus Culture in Folsom, was the youth pastor there. And it's, it's so funny, you guys. And um, Bethel had been getting words for like 10, 15 years that God is going to seriously show up in some ridiculous ways that was going to just blow precedent out of the water. That he was actually going to raise up a church that could actually steward what people would think would be blasphemy simply because they haven't experienced it themselves. These things are in the word, but people still think that got, there has to be something wrong with this. But it's simply because the generations and centuries of bad theology. And what I mean by bad theology is it doesn't include all of it. It specializes. What happens is they get this word that Bethel would actually steward things that most people don't know how to steward in the spirit. They would learn how to do that through it happening, not through studying, and then God conveniently gives it once you get your A on your test. That's my paraphrase of the word. That wasn't actually a funny word. Okay. Um, because a lot of us, we get offended when God moves supernaturally outside of what we already understand. But think about the ridiculous nature of what I just said. It's totally ridiculous. What we're really saying is, God, can you just, like, let me live a life with zero faith? Like, can I just know everything? And then I don't have to deal with this, like, thumping thing in my chest. And I don't have to deal with you actually, like, increasing its, its capacity for love and trust. I don't have to deal with all that. Can, can we just, like, stay stagnant and just only do what I'm already comfortable with? Out of love for you, he ignores the requests. He ignores it. He completely ignores the request. He's like, I am not going to do that. Now, if we start making ultimatums, which some of us do, well, if this happens, I'm forsaking you, Lord. Even if we wouldn't say it with our mouths, we still say it. Those requests are actually treated differently by the Lord because your heart is more important to him than anything else, even your physical safety. Read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Your heart is more important because your heart is eternal. Who you are is eternal. This is fleeting. It doesn't mean it's meaningless. It doesn't mean it's an illusion. This is real. <laughs> it's just inconsequential to heaven. I think we take things too far just to make a point over here, and we actually throw billions of babies called humans on earth out with the bathwater. Well, it's just an illusion. It doesn't mean anything. Actually, most of the time, that's actually fear in the heart trying to make things okay. I don't want to deal with this. I, it, it's too painful. There's things happening. It's a protective all this is an illusion. It's not an illusion. You know it's not an illusion by how much you've been hurt by people. You have the same capacity to do the same. You're not the painter, and the rest of this is a canvas. You are one of many. You are more special than you think you are, and you are more mundane than you think you are. <laughs> Let God influence that, right? Right? That's humility. <sighs> okay, yes. All right. So, Bethel, getting back. Denny's. Normal Denny's. They're meeting at this Denny's in Reading on Friday nights. And then something starts to happen on Friday nights because the youth is pressing into this promise, this word, this, this word of revival where God's going to actually start moving in ways that everyone else is going to feel uncomfortable with, but he's going to show them how to walk through it. And so the youth are just praying this in. They're just like, God, we want it right now. We don't want to wait. You know, like, right now, give it to us right now. And then, so if you listen to the old Bethel stuff, it's, people are just yelling more from the, the crowd constantly. More! You know, a lot more! They're all cracking, and they don't even care. It's like, more. And on one Friday night, 
something just shifted. And they're in that, and pretty soon they're like, you know what? We're here at Denny's every Friday night. And, and uh, banning is all about, uh, like, occupying. So wherever you are, you just occupy. Wherever your step goes, you claim it for Jesus. You know, this is a very common theme then. And so they're in Denny's, and he's like, you know what, you guys? When we're in Denny's, we're not, we don't want to go in here and just be that, like, loud, obnoxious youth group. Because, to be honest with you, you've been in public when you know that there's a youth group from a church in there. And they're not thinking about anyone else in that room. They're definitely not thinking, how can we be blessing this place and honor it? <laughs> it's not a, that's not the most common thing that you would, you would say that, that a youth group would be doing in a restaurant. Um, and so they go into Denny's with this whole other unto. And the unto is this. What lying, deceitful, dark, whatever it would be, is trying to win? And are we the answer? So they show up to Denny's, and pretty, pretty soon they're like, before they leave, they're praying for people, they're giving prophetic words, they're doing all this stuff, and, and over time, you're starting to see this movement. And what I mean by movement, I don't mean like a movement, I mean like movement. <laughs> Kinetic, not standing still. Um, in Denny's. And so every Friday, they're there until one night, they're in Denny's, and the server comes over and starts, and I, I might be getting the actual order of events wrong, but the basic, the gist is that their server comes over and one of them gets a word for the server and it's like something wrong physically with this with this server and so the, they're like, can we pray for you? and the server's like, okay pray, boom, the person goes out like onto the floor, like falls onto the floor, it's Denny's okay, so on a Friday night, okay, so they're on the floor, well then the people in like the, the booth they're all, what's going on? And they're like, oh, the power of God. And then one of the youth is like, you have this. And the person's like, oh, yeah, I do. And then all of a sudden, this thing starts happening. Well, it starts in the corner, and it starts going out over the course of like five, ten minutes until eventually, eventually, everyone in the Denny's is on the floor. The servers, the people that came to get their grand slams, and the manager comes out and goes, what the? And he's like trying to like figure it out and like he's trying to do it and then the power of God hits him and he just goes to his knees. And so these people are like repenting and one of them don't even know what's going on but they're just like, yeah. And like Jesus is talking and this whole thing. To this day, the New Age community in Reading say this, there's a vortex under Denny's. It's not a vortex. It's just Jesus. It's like, it's, it's a heavenly realm carried by these ones who have authority, they have clear vision, at least somewhat closer, to what heaven is actually saying. And they brought it, and all of a sudden, God saw fit to answer at that moment. I just want to say that. All right. Now, um, so that, that started, and pretty soon it just starts taking off. Most revivals in the history of the planet have been started in the youth. Welsh revival started with youth. Straight up, started with youth. Azusa started with youth. You know what Josiah was, the king, when he turned everything around in Israel? Twelve. You know what Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah was when he got called? The Jewish tradition estimates 15 to 17 years old. Isaiah, 17 to 18 years old. David, youth, a ruddy youth, 14 to 15 years old. Yeah, I mean, John the Beloved, we know how old he was when he died. And so we, and we know basics, like basic within two or three years um, of all these other dates back in the day. John the Beloved, when he was called, he was between 15 and 17 years old. 
And what did Jesus do for him? He was the only disciple that died of natural causes. He was the disciple that, that Jesus on the cross looked at him and said, take care of my mom. I don't know about the rest of you, but that's like a, that's a high charge. You know what I mean? All right. He said, son, your mother, mother, your son. Not only that, but before the book of Revelation, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's not called Revelations, and it's not called the book of Revelations. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. Before that book, before Jesus showed up to John, all we knew about Jesus was he was the lamb. He was this humble teacher who took on the sins of the world and led a, led a sinless life. And, and, and he, he really like opened up the law of Moses for everyone around him and really showed the differences between what the Pharisees brought to it and what it originally was because he wrote the law with his very finger on a mountain. And, and what happened was is all of a sudden you have this youth that he calls is it Bartholomew or Thaddeus or something? One of them was a, was a businessman at least 60 years old when he was called. In the movies, it's all these, like, yeah. British, like, hey, we're all 35, hanging with Jesus. You're like, no. There's, like, this, like, tax collector guy that was, like, probably not in shape at all. And you have this, like, 65-year-old dude that's this business guy. And you have this 15-year-old kid over here. And, like, do you remember in the book of John? I, I, I'm not going to preach on John, but I really want to. And, and so he's my favorite. And when I get to heaven, besides Jesus, I'm going to hug John. Maybe, maybe I'm my angels first, you know, like, dude, you did such a good job. Um, but then I'm going to get to John, John the Beloved. Dude, can we just hang out for like 100 years, please? I mean, it's, it's eternity. You know, we can do that, you know. Anyway. So here's the deal. You have John, and he's sitting on the, I'm just, I'm just talking about the youth. I'm talking about the youth in revival. That's, I'm still there. If you're new, this is what happens. So I'm still there. John the Beloved, uh, when he wrote the book of John, he, he always, he makes a delineation between him and him and the disciples. So he'll say, the disciples were arguing about who was the best. Yeah. Or then he'll say, the disciples and the one that Jesus loved were doing this, and that's him. <laughs> he, he, can you imagine the aud audacious confidence that you're loved to write an entire account of the God-man that you knew very closely, and you decide to name yourself the disciple that Jesus loves? Somebody said this a long time ago, and it's true. I, it's so true for me. I remember when this guy said it, and I, I felt I was crying, and I was, I was at a church that's now another church, and this guy named Kirk Bennett was there, and he's preaching, and, and he came from IHOP, and he said, he said, of all the things that God's ever given me, out of everything I could ever give to the world, everything that's ever been a blessing or anything that I would ever desire, number one, that I would want to be known, anything that I'd be known for, on the earth, I'd want to be known as a guy that Jesus loves. That knows that Jesus loves him. That's out of everything else. And I remember that went so deep in me, like a sword. And I, and I was crying. And I'm like, God, I don't want anything else. I don't want, I want my art or my music or my, my communications. Or, and I don't, care what it, I don't care what it is. Like, if the only thing I'm known for is a guy that knows that you love him. If that's all I ever am. It's more than all those other things could possibly ever be in their fullness. And here's John the Beloved. And do you remember at the table, the Last Supper, you know, the last Passover meal? And, and all the disciples are here, and, and you have... <laughs> it says that, um, that Jesus said, the one that dips the, the, the matzah, or the bread, in th that one that who dips with me, that's the one that 
that is going to betray me. And there's only one time you do that, and that's when you dip it into the tears. You dip it into the actual horseradish that makes you cry in, in the Seder. It's, it's about the, 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 the deep lament of the nation of Israel. And, and here he is, and he, he hand, he's the one that I handed to. And so he hands it to Judas. And he says, go and do what you were supposed to do. And everybody else, remember, it says, oh, maybe he's going to go buy more bread or something. They didn't even know what was happening. And then he says, one of you will betray me, which is interesting because he just said who it was. Whatever. The disciples were thicker than that sometimes. And so um, they start arguing amongst themselves. And they start asking Jesus. It said every disciple, every disciple said this, Jesus, is it me? And then it says, and the disciple whom Jesus loved, leaning on Jesus' chest, looked up and said, who is it? <laughs> <laughs> it ain't me so I mean I know that I you know uh, he killed me right now I'm not going to betray you and so it's amazing anyway I could really go into John right now I could do that for two hours but I won't <sighs> okay the youth you guys Bethel because I'm getting to something present present and so sorry I'm just looking okay you'll know what I'm doing in a second okay um, presently I'm going to get there so at Bethel, what happened was is this revival, that all, almost every revival, I can say almost every, even Count Zinzendorf and the Moravians, you can track it to the youth. That's a 120-year-old prayer meeting that happened in a castle night and day, by the way. And then that after 120 years of praying that God would send laborers into the harvest, 120 years. Not two, which would also seem like a long time. They knew that the body of Christ wasn't ready yet. They weren't ready yet. They weren't prepared yet. So for 120 years, night and day, they prayed that God would send laborers into the harvest. And finally, God said, go. And the Moravians kicked off modern missions. Wow. 350 years ago. Yeah. One of the Moravians was, is a story. Moravians went for a while. It's like 180 years of missions. And the Moravians, uh, uh, what they would do is they would sell themselves into slavery. Literally, I mean like with money, would buy everything and actually give money to a slave master so that they could be that man's slave for the rest of their lives, just so they could have access to a people group. And all their possessions would fit into a coffin, and they would buy the coffin and ship it with them so that nothing would ever have to be paid by the master for them. And two of them, 18 and 19 years old, were on a boat. And it was leaving, I think, English shores. Almost positive. And everybody's crying because they're like, sent their best. You know, the church is like, and this isn't like missions now. You know, it's like, you're voxering. Hey, do you need some more Fruit Loops? You know, it's, it's different. I mean, God bless missionaries. My wife and I are missionaries to Africa. You know, Ruth and Megan lived there with us. I mean, I, I'm not knocking missionaries. What I'm saying, though, is it was, it was a different animal. Missions was completely different. When you went to missions, you were never, ever seeing your family again. That's what you were doing. Um, and so they're crying, and these, this 18 and 19-year-old, and they're on a boat, and they both have their, their, their coffins full of their possessions, not that many possessions, and they're going, and as they're going, everybody's like at the dock, and they're waving their handkerchiefs, and they're saying goodbye, and everybody's praying and singing. And then the boat gets so far away, and the 18-year-old yells as loud as he could so everybody could hear, even though it was so far away. He says, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. And that's the last they ever saw of those two. I don't have any more story of those two. That's, that's it. 
We don't know what they did. We have no idea. That's all we know. The Moravians, it started with the youth. And here it is in Bethel, this youth. They find out about this word that was spoken over the church. And just like Josiah, the king of Israel, where he's sitting there and he's just coronated and about like, I think it was six months to a year later, he decides, you know what? We need to clean up the Lord's house. We need to clean up the temple. And um, so they're there and they're cleaning it up and, and then some of the, because the, the, the temple had been turned into a, a brothel for temple prostitution um, and then the children uh, born from that were burned in fire to serve Molech, which is their demon and so um, uh, Josiah, they bring him, they bring the child king, this, the, the, the law, the, the, the Torah, the, from Genesis all the way up to the last thing written in the book of Kings. And the very last thing written before Israel forsook the Lord and tore down the temple and did all this weird stuff, the last thing written was this, it was a prophecy. But there will come a king, and his name will be Josiah. And he will cleanse the land of all that is fallow. And all the nation of Israel will return to the Lord. And it said that they were reading the law to him. And all of a sudden they get to this one place. This one place, all it says. He stands up and he rends his clothes. And he screams and he drops to his knees. And he realizes this is him. And so he takes this, this cup. This, I, I don't mean a physical cup. I mean... The cup that now he has to drink. He has to be the one. And he goes and completely just, I mean, it's brutal. But he just annihilates all the prophets of Baal. He does all this crazy stuff. He gets them all to come into the temple. If you've ever served Baal as a priest, we, we, we want to honor you. We want to bring you into the temple. And once they do, it says to close the doors. And he got all the sentries strike every single one of these down. And then he goes and he like crushes the Asherah poles. This is PG-13, but whatever. The Asherah poles, you remember the high places in the book of Kings, the Chronicles? It says, this king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, and he didn't take down the high places. And then some of the other kings, this king did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just like his father David. But he didn't take down the high places. He kind of, he, he forgot that one. And somebody else, this king did right. He did some other crazy stuff, but he did This is the King Brian version. He did some crazy stuff and some good stuff, and he's kind of like, ah. But, I mean, he didn't take down the high places, though. You can look at it. Every king, what did he do with the high places? That's what it was. That, that, was, that was the thing. It's amazing. No, there was never, I was, I was always wondering, this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. But he, I mean, but he tore down the high places. <laughs> there there's, isn't that. Um... Josiah was the first king to do so. What the high places were, most people don't even know. Have you ever wondered what those high places are? Anybody? Well, you're about to find out. This is what the high places were. You had... your hands. I mean... So um, the high places were this. You had two goddesses, a god and a goddess that they worship. Demons, fallen angels that have no business gathering glory. And Asherah was a woman... And Ashtaroth was a male. And they had two of these stone idol things up on all the high places. One was a 15-foot-tall phallic symbol, the male organ. And looked just like it. Weird, right? You're like, 
No wonder it's like, and they didn't take down that. <laughs> like, are you kidding? Like, like, out of everything you thought you'd do, you didn't wonder about that? Okay. And then more than that, you know what is on there? You know what, what, what happens there? Every young woman, once she was of menstruating age, so 13 years old, she was expected to go up there and take off her clothes. And the first man that saw her would actually have sex with her. And once a month, every woman in Jerusalem was expected to do that. Under penalty. And the men, it wasn't once a month. I mean, my guess is the men were just there all the time. And then whenever a child was conceived, your first child conceived, you then brought it over to the other side of that, that high place. And that was a massive stone furnace that was kept burning night and day. And the front of it was actually shaped like a woman's genitalia. That is what the high places were. And that is when it says, um, this king was more evil than any king before him. He even caused his child to pass through the fire. That's what it means. It means that they sacrificed their children so they didn't have to deal with the ramifications of sex. And this is what the anti-abortion movement is actually based on. It's the same demons. It's the same principality. It's the exact same. It's just more civilized, and we don't have to deal with it because other people do it for us. Can you imagine that the level of deception that would get a woman to think that that is freedom for herself? It's my choice. I'm free with my body. You're free? Is that what freedom is? Like, is that what freedom looks like? This is crazy town. But I digress. So, yes, that is my stance on that. Okay, um, yeah. In case you were wondering. Um, all right. If you know anybody, I'm going to say this right now. I know I could get at least seven hands in this room right now, and they have counted the cost. I know I could say this. If you know anybody that's trying to have an abortion because they don't want to deal with it, they, can't, they don't think they're going to be a good mom or whatever, I could get a show of hands in this room right now. They will take that child like this. They'd even have the woman come and live with them. This is, the, this is the other reality that isn't talked about because of the demonic agenda. All these judgmental people and hatred and hatred. Like, what are you talking about? Like, they're loving your child. It's not hatred. Like, that's why some of these people obviously take it too far. And I'm actually going to get to this in a second. What does right and wrong look like? And, and how do you actually walk it out in terms of what heaven says versus what the world says? I'm going there, but I'm talking about some crazy things happening right now. Okay, coming all the way back out. Bethel, youth group. Youth group being the foundational root of revival. Are we on the same page? Okay, three of you. We're on the same page here? Yes. Okay. So, pretty soon, that culture just spilled out into the rest of the church. It just started popping up everywhere. Until pretty soon, like in the sanctuary, funny, weird stuff was happening. That they would have just talked about, like, in the book of Acts, like, yes, and the Lord showed up in a cloud, and da 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 Until it happens at Bethel, everybody's like, that's got to be demonic. Why? Well, how do you tell? You judge a tree by its fruit. Easy. Jesus is being worshipped. You have the fruit of the Spirit increasing more and more and more. You have exuberance that actually can even look like drunkenness. Day of Pentecost. And actually, like, I'm just talking about precedent. Precedent doesn't even measure what we do. It's only like, well, we can only do things that have already happened. 
when did that rule start? <laughs> when it made us uncomfortable? Like, when did that rule even start? Can you find that anywhere in the Word? If that was the rule, then the Pharisees were right to try to kill Jesus because he was doing things that they hadn't seen before. Maybe that's not a good rule for us. Maybe we can take it and just be like, just throw, just throw that behind you. you. You don't want to be found fighting against the Lord just because you haven't seen him do what he's doing. Don't you want him to do something new? I seriously know people that get offended when they don't understand something, and yet they're standing, Lord, do a new thing! You don't, you, you don't do well when he does new things. Like it's, <laughs> I don't think you're marrying these two, like how you actually act when he does a new thing. I mean, it sounds cool, but I mean, maybe you need to think about what you would do if he did a new thing. Anyway. Well, he's doing a new thing now. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, so... So then what happened at Bethel, um, by the way, he, you can go on Google, you can, I mean, YouTube, just look up Bethel Glory Cloud. I mean, I have many friends that were in the room when this was happening. This wasn't being manufactured by a machine, it just was there. And so, I don't know if you've been to Bethel, but they have two screens there, and the stage is here, and the stage is actually really tall. And then over here, on the, <laughs> the, the roof is twice as tall as this, and, and there was this one screen, and then to the right of it, this glory cloud showed up. What I mean by a glory cloud, it's kind of like if you like had a balloon filled with like dust and glory, like like a, sorry, glitter. Here, what does glory look like, bro? Not like glitter. And you blew it up in slow motion, and then it just it was there, and you, you froze it. That's about what it looked like, but it was all moving, like there was wind um, <clears throat> around it, so it's moving. Like the glitter is moving around, but it's not going down. It's just staying there. But there's nothing around it. It's not like there's a vent that they could be like manufacturing this with or something. You know what I mean? This is not what's happening. And pretty soon, all the spotlights go to it. It wasn't like they were planning on it, but like they're all, get the lights over there! And everyone's like, this is amazing! They're all like calling their family members and stuff. Get over here! Like, drive to Bethel right now! Which is actually something that's very common in Bethel now. When the Lord starts moving heavily, when his glory drops and people start walking into the new, when, when heaven is actually the reality, Instead of what we could imagine so we don't have to deal with it. From the pulpit, somebody would get on a mic, call your friends. Get all the kids out of, of kids ministry. Bring them in here. Bring everybody in here. Because this is why we're here. We're here because of the Lord's presence. Not just to establish doctrine and to be reminded again of what God already did for us. It's not wrong to be, to, to be reminded, obviously. But that's not the ceiling of what we're called to be and what we're called to do and even what God is doing. Salvation, I, this is what I say, salvation is the door to the house. And we get in the door and we're told, okay, up against the wall. <laughs> Don't you dare explore the rest of this house. We're going to look in this door until we breathe our last. I don't deny the door. The door is so important. I could talk at length about justification. In fact, our old church, we did. It was six months long. Um, really. I'm not exaggerating. Okay. Um, really. Some people are like, are we talking about justification again? Yes, we are. There's more to it. Because there is. Because you can talk about that fraternity. But that's not the main event. The main event is get, once you're in, now what? Jesus didn't just come preaching salvation. He came preaching the kingdom. Salvation is, is, is what gets you in. But then what? Well, the more we're preoccupied with the door being the definition of the house. How many of you think, dude, I'm going home. And you get to your house and you just stay at it, at the door. This is my house. 
Can you take this off the hinges and put a plaque? Can we, can we put a, a frame around it? I'll just walk around with a door. Well, even the world knows it's weird when all we want to talk about is salvation. Because it is. It doesn't mean it. it's not amazing. It doesn't mean that it's not like possibly the greatest thing that ever happened in the universe, past, present, and future. That's not what I'm, I'm not, I'm not denying that. I'm saying, but that's the, the reason though is because it reconciled men to God. Then what? There's, there's, there's rooms in this mansion. Explore them. And everyone will take another facet of your fear and kill it. Every single one of them. Unless your fear is an idol and you've made rules that you can only do what your fear is okay with. I guarantee you, if that's the case, you'll be offended every time God moves. I guarantee it. If, if your fear has become your allowable ceiling for what God can do, you'll be offended when God does something that you're afraid of. In fact, you will probably turn it into blasphemy. Most likely. We all got family members or just unbelieving friends or whatever. You know the hard transition? When you're, they're like, how are you doing? But you just came back from the, the most amazing thing ever. And you're like, my friend just got healed of, of this, like, like, this back thing they've had for 10 years or whatever. And you're like so stoked. And then your mom or something calls. And like, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Why are you doing great? Well, dude, like my friend, like, back was like crooked as a question mark for like 10 years and like just just tonight like they got radically healed the back's totally straight they're all jumping around doing jumping jacks and then the next person is like cool so did you see the last tv show last couple days or or hey have you seen the mets playing or like the, the hard you know the hard transition you know we all know it i call them out on it i slow down like, do you realize that i just told you and i reiterated and then your response was did i see the last mets game I'll just say it. I'll just slow it down. I'm not, I don't, I'm not just like, whoop, you know, because I know that what the, what's really happening is their spirit is starving. It's ravenous for what I'm saying. And all those locks and controls aren't allowing their spirit to be fed. Well, I'm not going to agree with all that crap because what they really want is to be fed. It's like if somebody was starving and every time they had like, Hey, you remember the, the movie The Airplane? He's like, yeah, I had a drinking problem. And he like had a thing of water. Every time he tries to drink, he throws it over his shoulder or onto his face. He's, and that's his drinking problem. Like, it's so funny. He's like, yeah, I really wasn't really unhappy because of my drinking problem. He's like, I just want water. <laughs> and it's like on his face. That's funny. But, but it's kind of the same thing. We have an eating problem in the spirit. Yeah. And it's this. It's like, can you hand me that hat? Yeah, here's a hat. <laughs> That's what we do. Every time somebody like it tries to hand us something in the spirit that 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 we don't already have experience in. Hand me the thing again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. I just want something from the Lord though. That's what most of us do. Yeah. I want something from the Lord. Yeah. Well, some of you, you know what, you know what? I'm not gonna do this again. It's okay. Okay. So they keep throwing my hat on the ground. Um, um, some of you are like, I want, I just want something from the Lord. And every time you get into that place and you talk to people you know here from the Lord, they tell you the same thing. And you're like, why do you keep saying the same thing? It's because you don't have eyes to see that that is actually the door into what you've been asking for. Really? So he's like, you know, I want resurrection life. He's like, cool, walk through this door. Nah, man, because this leg don't work. And if I walk through that, I, I don't even know. 
man, because people are using both legs in there, and that's going to be a different walk, and I don't know how to do that, so I'm going to stay out here. Did you say you want a resurrection life? Yeah, I did, but like not for my leg. Like, what I want is like how I've narrowly defined that. Like, I, I want the Lord, but I don't want everything that comes with the Lord. I, I, I want like I want a room I can I, that I can trust and people can trust me. But, but I don't want to actually have to deal with anybody else treating me like I treat everybody else. Or, you, you see what I'm saying? And the Lord's like, dude, I got so much more than your piddly definitions of what I want to do. It's ridiculous. Case in point. So um, in Bethel, I'm eventually going to get to what he's doing in the present in this room, but just whatever. Long way around. So um, Bethel, eventually what happened is these things started showing up, not just the glory cloud, but people are in their houses alone, and they're worshiping the Lord, and something hits their head, thunk, and then falls on the clack, clack, clack. They're like, they go up to it, they pick it up, and it's a diamond. They're like, but it's just their ceiling, and they're alone in their house. <laughs> Or some other people would like be like just worshiping the Lord in their house, and then all of a sudden, like they look up and there's a feather <laughs> falling. <laughs> like it's not like there's eight people and it was like a pillow fight. It's just there's nothing going on. They're worshiping the Lord in the natural, at least, and a feather falls, and they bring these feathers or these gems to people that are experts in feathers or gems, and the gems usually turn out like this. It matches the requirements to say that it's a diamond, but it can't possibly be a diamond because there's no flaws in it. <laughs> now, if you know anything about diamonds, diamonds actually came from carbon, and carbon comes from living matter. I actually had this, this dream um, a long time ago that somebody told me that diamonds were actually the hearts of, of the righteous originally, before the fall. Whatever. Um, whatever. Um, so, I mean, I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying I had this dream that, like, it was the heart. Like, that, that was the, yeah, whatever. So, um, there's no proof of that. It's just a cool idea. Um, all right. So, uh, then, um, because of that, I, I've had this desire in me. I've told a couple of you just randomly, like, preaching every once in a while, like, that would be amazing. But that's about it. Now, when I got saved, there was a girl, and she had gold coming out of her skin in copious amounts. Not like, you can kind of see it when the light hits. <laughs> this was like Goldfinger, you know, like, uh, like James Bond, like ridiculous. Were any of you there? Anybody there during that whole thing? Am I literally the only one? You were there, Eileen? Eileen? Okay, Greta, you were there. Your sister was there. Okay. Okay, so me and Greta, holding it down. Okay, holding down four, down at the gold court. All right. So this is what happened. Um... I was uh, in a worship service. Uh, we were in San Rafael. This is when Lou Engel was very first beginning his, his call ministry. It was the first one. It's called Vertical Call then. And it was actually the prayer meeting for Vertical Call, which would be in a month. And uh, all these peeps there were like, I mean, I don't want to name drop, but it's all like the rock stars of the church or whatever. And they're, But I don't mean like the, the cheesy ones. I mean like... Like Mike Bickle. Yeah, you know I mean? It wasn't like Keep Tithe and Sister. I don't mean like those guys. I mean like the... You know what I'm saying. Okay, sorry. Let's digress. Sorry. sorry. Um, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, I don't want to mock, but at the same time, the thing itself, that, that, that culture that has nothing to do with the kingdom, I will mock that. I don't want to mock the people because some of them don't even know that they're, that, that, that thing is getting in the way. They get all the same problems that everybody else does when they, kick, they pick that thing up, but they don't realize that they can just drop it at any moment, and God will actually be stoked. All right. He's still stoked on them. Grace. Moving on. So, uh, anyway... Uh, I remember, see, I got saved when I was 27. And so, I mean, 
I'm not going to get into it because it's a long story. But I just saw a lot. Let's say that. Hitchhiked across the country for a couple years. Got into a lot of different cults. Uh, got into a lot of like witchcraft and a lot of like worshiping different demons of different cultures and this whole thing. And at a certain point, I was like 120 pounds, but I could straight up throw any of you guys across the room. And um, people, they took three people to pick me up when I wanted that to happen and all this like, weird other demonic stuff. Um, if that's curling your toe, Airwolf. Sorry, the spirit's real. And so, um, uh, yeah, and that wasn't me, though. See, demons love to say, you're doing this. These are powers. But in reality, they're doing it, and they're deceiving you into thinking you're doing it. In fact, they'll even tell you what you want, and then have you ask them for it, but they're already planted that in there, and then they're already ready to do that thing. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Anyway. <clears throat> Uh, so through all that, I saw a lot. I, I had just seen a lot. Um, so by the time I got saved, it wasn't, is the spirit real? That was not my, that wasn't my question, you know? That wasn't, I wasn't dealing with that one. Um, my question was, um, what is the cure for my heart? Who is the cure for my heart? That, that was a deeper question. And, um, and so... Every one of these voices that would give me what I quote-unquote wanted, what they wanted me to want. Um, when I finally was in church, and I was, I was right there, and it was at the Rock of Roseville, and um, I'd never been there in my life, and I'm not going to get into it, but there's a lot there. And he's preaching this message, and at a certain point, he does a call for salvation. And I'm, I'm sitting on this side, you know, there's two aisles, and I'm sitting right here. And I remember I'm sitting right here, and, and uh, at a certain point, like, he's like, okay, now's the time. And I was like, okay, I'm out. And I was like, okay, I'm going out. I'm leaving the building. And, um, and, but my eyes were mostly closed because I didn't want to look anybody in the eye because I actually believed that that Saturday night service was just for me. I'm not kidding. Um, that's how narcissistic I was. Um, I literally, because I people go to church on a Saturday night. I mean, they go to church on a Sunday morning. And everybody was seeing me. You're Ian's friend, right? I'm like, yeah. And it's just proving it. I, I literally thought that my friend Ian just told an entire church my story. And wanted to get all these people in there, and they could all like support me in my salvation experience. I really thought this was happening, and so, so I was like, dude, I'm out. Like, I don't want to look at any of these people, like, because they're all probably looking at me because I just got up. This is like my narcissistic, you know, whatever. That means self worship. And uh, sorry, I'm looking on the ground for something. I'll tell you guys a little bit about. And um, anyway, I get up to leave, and as I leave, it's a little uphill, and there's only lights in the front, and my eyes are barely closed, and I start walking. And the lights are getting brighter and brighter and brighter. I'm like, what the? And I'm expecting them to get darker and darker because I'm leaving. And I open my eyes and I'm realizing I'm walking downhill. And I'm walking toward the... So I'm walking toward... Well, and then I'm like starting to slow down and I feel Ian's hands on my back. And I'm like, dude, come on, man. And I look behind me and there's nobody there. And I'm still getting pushed. And I'm like... <laughs> and so I'm like walking down. I'm like, no, no, no. And in my head, all I can hear over and over, that voice that always gave me, quote, unquote, what I wanted, whenever I wanted it, that's the definition of mammon, by the way, if you guys want to go back to that scripture with Jesus. You can't serve God and mammon. Mammon is getting what you want when you want it. The Greeks invented money, and they named it after the root word for mother's milk, specifically how you feel about it. Mammon is getting what you want when you want it. And you can't serve God and mammon. You either hate the one and love the other, or you will despise the one and serve the other. Interesting. So here we are, and I'm at the, and I finally dug in my heels. And the voice that always quote unquote gave me everything I wanted, even though I believe it was manufacturing those things for me, um, it was like, get out, get out. What are you doing? You're going to be an American Christian. That's what you're going to be. Out of everything you could choose, you're going to be this. Because I was convinced American Christianity cannot possibly be what Jesus meant. I'm still there, 
for a, a majority of what I believe. Um, but, um, uh, but I, you know, and so, um, yeah, and so, so here I'm digging my heels. I'm like, no, you're not gonna go any farther. But there's this one voice, and um, I've been remiss to share these things on, on uh, audio just because legal reasons. But I can say this much: that um, uh, I was, because uh, this story, I, I look like a saint from the outside, even though I wasn't at all. This was self-preservation, not altruistic. But um, I almost died downhill skateboarding. Um, it was an abandoned whatever. And so we were in Nevada City, and I went down this hill called Red Dog, which ends at a, it ends at a cemetery. <laughs> it's like out of a movie. Like, these locals are, like, like looking at me or whatever. And, and I walk up and say, like, hey, is there any skate spots around here? And they're all, we only got hills here. It was, like, just straight up the cheesiest 80s movie ever. And the one guy looked at me and he's like, take him to Red Dog. I'm like, this is, like, so dumb. But this actually is what happened, so I don't know what to tell you. I wish it was more interesting and more, like, ironic or something. So, um... Anyway, so we all get in the, the van. We'd already unloaded everything for the show. And we drove to the top of Red Dog. And as it's going up, I'm like, this is a really steep hill with a lot of very tight turns. So I'm looking at these guys because my friends were all professional skateboarders. And I knew that the only thing I could do better than all the rest of my friends was not get speed wobbles, which is basically when you're on a skateboard and it goes faster and faster until pretty soon it starts doing this and then you're done. But I knew the secret to never get them. So I was there. And, um, and I knew that anybody that can go down a hill on a skateboard, I can keep up with them because I knew the secret of speed wobbles. And so these guys, I'm like, have you done this hill? And they're all, yeah. So all I had was my comparison to them. Okay, well, these dudes can do it. I know I can do it because I'm looking at even like how they're built and their boards and everything. I'm like, okay, I got this. And so that's all I'm doing is ga gauging it on the average. <laughs> Not a good idea. So um, that's what we do with Sin a lot, which I'm about to go to here in a second. Um, so all of a sudden, um, so here I am and I'm like, we get to the top, and I'm like, and I got to do my fight or flight pee. You know, so I go and pee in the bushes real fast because you're kind of scared, you know, and you don't want to pee in the middle of it if you're really scared, and that's just embarrassing. So I go pee, and I come back, and I'm like, let's do this. And I like, grab my board, and I like, run up, and I like, get on my board, and they're, all, and they're looking back, and they're on their boards. And so I push like, to go faster. And I go back, and, I, and I'm, I'm going fast enough so that I got about two more seconds before I won't be able to just jump off, like I'll get hurt. And I look back, and they're running off their boards. They're already exited. And the one guy's like, don't push! Don't put, like, don't go faster, you know? And by this point, I had about, a, like I said, a two or three second window. And instead, I just, I was like, whatever, man, I'm just going to do this. Stupid idea. Once again, sounds like sin, right? Okay, even the guy, even the people that got you into it, you're going too far. Whatever, man, I got it. <laughs> so, um, anyway, <laughs> everyone around you, you're being an idiot. Um, <laughs> you don't even know, man. Okay, so anyway, so uh, basically, in a nutshell, uh, I woke up in the hospital. Um, I, uh, I was going so fast that, you know, you, you have like the yellow line and the dot and the yellow line and the dot. It was going fast enough. So the dot was doing this and I'm like, that's fast. I mean, it's like 40 feet that quick. I mean, that's, well, you're going fast. And I'm like, and I knew it. I was like, there's no way. Like I can't even move my feet a millimeter. Like I am, I'm going so fast and I look up and this hill goes down and there's a 35 mile an hour turn. I was like, oh, okay. And so I lean into the turn, and it, I'm going so fast, I'm immediately in the oncoming lane. I mean, it's a two-lane mountain road. You can't even see around the corner. I'm already in that lane. Now I'm in the, the turnabout, like, like the, the, the turnout there. And I'm, I'm going so fast, like, like a 35-mile-an-hour turn. Like, easily, if you're going 20 miles an hour, you're just going to just cruise around it. I'm, like, way off shooting this thing. And so I'm getting to the point where I'm in the gravel, and I almost lose control, and then wobble back, and then I'm back on the street again. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, that was crazy. Well, the drop-off, 
off that turnabout is like a 200 foot drop into like the forest. It's just not, you're seeing the tips of trees like 10 feet out, you know? And so I'm like, okay, and I'm there. And, and finally it goes down and, and it kind of S curves a little bit. I'm looking and I see a 10 mile an hour turn sign. Do you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it's like at a certain point and I look out and I'm getting closer and I'm speeding up and I, I get closer and I see the tips of trees like eight feet out off this railing. And you can just see like the valley. And you're like, okay. And so I'm there. And so I remember doing this. I just started shutting down my mechanisms that I would do when I'd worship demons or when I would like do 10 hours of yoga a day or all these other things. I just started shutting off mechanisms and just shutting them off. And the last thing I did is I just put my hands right here between my legs and just relaxed. And then I went to the hospital. Um, that was a little side story. So um, finally, um, I'm back home. Um, not home. I stayed with my friend's house at my friend's house who was on tour with skateboarding. And he let me just use his house to recover. And so I was doing three times more Vicodin than you're supposed to, because I liked it. And um, and so uh, it's just like such a sin thing, like, like a sin allegory, this whole thing. Well, at a certain point, um, my friend, quote unquote, uh, the only way we bonded was basically destroying our lives and other people's lives. That's like the only thing we had in common. Um, manipulating women and, and just trying to find adrenaline rushes and this whole really horrible thing. And um, uh, a young girl um, came in, and I was all alone. And she came in, and um, she was really beautiful, like physically, sexually beautiful. Like, because you have beautiful, like royal beauty, and then you have that, like, other thing. She was the other thing. Um, I mean, I guarantee you that, like, who she actually is is royal beauty. But she had, like, that, like, model, like, Maxim model thing going on or whatever. Anyway, so she comes in, and next thing I know, like, she doesn't have clothes on, and she's explaining that she met my friend on K Street Mall, and he told her that his friends laid up and she just here's the key to his house and just go in and because there's their roommates and just go in and just okay so I'm in this situation in the world you won like in the world you know what I mean like finally you know it's like it's like this thing that like every like adolescent boy who doesn't know Jesus and possibly even something to do are like this would be totally amazing and here I am and this girl and so finally like and she just there's something about her she looks so childlike to me and even though really beautiful, really childlike. And so finally I said, how old are you? And she said, that doesn't matter. It kind of does. And, and so this whole thing, and, and for me, I'm like on opiates. I'm like all jacked up, you know? It's like, and, and that was the height of my hedonist, crazy, I don't care about anybody phase anyway, when I was only listening to that loud demonic voice. And then a little voice showed up and said, ask her how old she is. And it reminded me of my grandfather, who was a Holy Spirit-filled Christian. But at the time, I didn't know the... But, but the voice felt like how it felt when I would be around my grandfather. And so I said, no, I want to know. And she's like, I'm only 13. It's totally fine. I found out late. Oh, and so I made her get dressed and leave. Um, I got a call from her brother two days later that I didn't even know was her brother. He was this guy that was like really into all this martial arts. He's like the Scottish guy or whatever. And he called me and he goes, because I worked at this, this yogurt shop in Midtown where all the skateboarders worked. We were like, let skateboarders that would come, we were in magazines and stuff where people would come in and ask about the skateboarding scene in Sacramento and where you can skate and where you can't, how the laws have changed. And it was like this yogurt shop, which is really funny. And, um, and he called me at the yogurt shop and he says, hey man, um, can I talk to you? I was like, yeah, he explained who he was. I'd known him, but I didn't know they were siblings. He goes, you're the only man that's ever turned down my sister. And he's like, I just want to let you know, man, that really means a lot, especially when you told her. Because she went home and told him everything that I said. 
Now, I was, that was more self-preservation, okay? That wasn't like me, like, all of a sudden turning a new leaf, and, and I'm listening to the Lord, and that's, I mean, I don't want to make myself a superhero there, okay? Like, really. Um, if she would have said she was 17, I wouldn't be telling to have this conversation right now. I just, you see what I'm saying? I was a horrible human being then. Jesus did a whole bunch of work. It's been, okay. Um, so, uh, with all that, um, here, I, here I was in this ridiculous situation where I knew the voice, that loud voice of mammon, and I obeyed it. And I actually gave over even um, mechanisms and agreements that are only for the Lord. And I gave over things that are only, in their, the only place they operate is the kingdom. That's the only place they operate in where you're actually free in it, is in the kingdom. What I mean by that is, 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 is calling things to be, even though they are not, and unseen things being seen and, and being led by this force, this voice, and, and, and seeing miraculous, crazy, weird stuff happen because of it. Like, all that stuff, if it's not in the kingdom, it's ruling you. Every time. There's nothing you can do about it. It's like the ring of Sauron. It's like the one ring to rule them all. It's like, it's like no, this ring is a gift. We could defeat him with his own ring. No, you can't. You can't pick that thing up and use it. And the same way, you can't use lust to defeat lust. You can't use wrath to defeat other injustices. You can't use impatience to draw out gentleness. You can't use these things. Our weapons of warfare are not carnal. Okay, great. Good. So, um, yeah, but, but, but our weapons that we do have are mighty in God pulling down strongholds and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Okay. So, diamonds are falling, y'all. <laughs> Straight up. Okay, so last Saturday, I'm like coming in here and the sun's coming from outside and, and I'm walking here and, and right here and I, I'm not, it's not like I'm searching carpet for stuff. I mean, it's just not what happens. You know what I mean? So I'm walking here and I'm like, what the? And I see like a little rainbowy thing and I reach down and I pick it up and I was like, I was like, Lord, if this is you, this is amazing. And so I'm walking around, and I show a couple people it, and I'm like, and it's a diamond. It's, it's, it's tiny, um, but it, you know how like a normal diamond has like a flat top, and then a, and then a, and then a well, th that's so that you could actually put it in a ring and see it. Have you ever seen, have you ever heard of a diamond that doesn't have a flat top? It's just like sharp and sharp. Yeah. What would you even use that for? But that's what it is. It's tiny, but it looks like that. I'm like, what the? And so I'm like, what? What would this even be in? Like, what would you set this in? I can't even think of anything. I'm like, okay, so I show a couple people last Saturday, and we put it in a little Ziploc bag. I'm going to bring it to Keith Green, which is my friend who owns Bianca's Fine Jewelry. If you're buying a ring, go there. Um, and so, uh, uh, yeah, he's a godly man. He's amazing. So, uh, so here I am. Um, commercial. So here I am. I got this thing, and then Katie and I, Sunday morning, we went to our 12-year anniversary. And so, uh, yeah, went to Santa Cruz. We have our hookups there. It's totally amazing. Um, we have some friends that have an Airbnb in Mount Hermon, so we're like waking up in the redwoods every morning, and like it was just, it was just absolutely incredible. I was 350 feet, my guess, uh, from a humpback whale, um, and we saw a very rare sight, which is a humpback with two calves, which is about the equivalent of like a human woman with six kids. I mean, it's that rare, it, but yeah, a humpback with two babies. It's like so beautiful. Because, you know, the humpback, you might not know this. Oh, everybody knows this. Um, the humpback, when they come up, they shoot two, it's two different sprays. Like two completely different. 
Um, and then the, the gray whale is actually looks like a heart. And they, they each one's have a different you know, like spout. Um, well, this is what I see. I see a whale come up, and it's like, and then I see, doop, doop, like two little, and it's like, so cute. Okay, yeah. I love whales. Like, whenever like, I'm around, it's not like I'm like, trying to be all mystical, but at the same time, it is kind of mystical, because God usually speaks to me when I'm around that environment. And, and, and it's like a kiss from the Lord, because he knows there's something there for me. Okay. So, uh, then I'm in Santa Cruz, and we watched the Warriors game, not at the actual game. Some of you have misinterpreted what I said. We were still in Santa Cruz, um, and uh, we were at a bar, and I had my beer, which sucked. And um, not because it was beer, because it was a crappy beer. And um, I'm sitting, I actually gave it to the guy next to me eventually. And um, it was like a seasonal thing, and it was horrible. And the Warriors won. I was really stoked. And as they were they're playing, um, I got a call from Austin Warcard. And um, I was talking to about making tobacco pipes. Um, thinking about getting into that, like, turning wood or whatever. Sounds fun. And um, so we're talking about tobacco pipes, drinking my beer in a bar, and then God says, yeah, you take this call. I'm like, great. So I go outside. And um, just to, like, mess with whatever we think would happen to get to these places or whatever. Um, yeah, I had a beer, talking about making tobacco pipes. Then this happened. So um, I'm like, just want to say that. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, so um, <clears throat> here I am, like, <laughs> I'm outside. That's not the main point, but it's a good point. Um, and so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm outside, and as I'm there, uh, I'm talking on the phone with Austin. And I'm just talking to him probably longer than I should have, actually, just because I was just stoked on the Warriors and stoked because I don't usually talk to him. So I'm going on at length about how you harvest Manzanita burl and, and all this stuff. And he's like, dude, I'm totally down to do that with you. I'm like, Awesome. And as I'm saying that, I look down, I see movement on the ground. I'm like, what, what was that? Like, and I look down, and I see glint. And I, I reach down, and I pull up. Basically, what looks like a carrot and a half diamond. And I'm looking because there was movement. And I'm looking around, and there's not a human being within 150 feet of me on Pacific Drive. If you've been to Santa Cruz, that's a rare thing already. Um, I mean, it's at night, but still, you know. Across the street, my wife would laugh about this. There was one guy, you know, people like musicians, like on Santa Cruz streets. This one dude, I, I, I could tell what he was thinking in his head. I just want a beer. Like, his his drum was just doing this. Dun, dun, dun. That was that's it. And he was alone. Dun, dun. But he was in it. He was like, but it was just one. It's like this whole orchestra he could hear and no one else could. And so you hear from way down the street, dun, dun. And that was happening across the street. This is just a mundane thing going on. And I had this diamond in my hand. And I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm looking around. And it moved. I mean, it was, there was movement. So, like, you know, where did, you know what I mean? Where did this come from? Yeah. And so I'm like, this is amazing. Well, I know where it came from. But in the moment, you know. And so, uh, wow. So then I bring it in. And I show Katie. I'm like, look what just, I think, fell <laughs> in front of me <laughs> as I was talking about making tobacco pipes out of manzanita burl wood. And so um, I show her, and she goes, that's amazing. And so we put it in a little bag, and then we watch the game, and the Warriors won. Hallelujah. Drive home. Um, well, um, two days later, uh, we're driving out, and we're on West, Kit West Cliff Drive. We park in the 20-minute place just to go out. Sure enough, whale's there again. And, um, and I pull it out, and I call Keith Green. I said, hey, man, uh, I know a lot of people come and bring you their diamonds from the sky thing. Because um, most of the time, he's all, those aren't diamonds. He's like, those are glass, or those are cubic zirconium. Or I don't know what that is, but it's not a diamond. And for me, I don't really care if it's a diamond or not. For me, it's just the fact that, like, God's dropping jewels all the place. That's really the main point. I mean, sure, if it's a real diamond, well, great. Um, and so he had me do a test, like, over the phone, and it passed the test for diamond. Um, and then another one. And then he's like, he moved from that, is it a diamond, to how big is it? <laughs> and I explained it to him, and he's like, 
That's like between like twenty five hundred and like seven thousand dollars, man. Depending on what kind of diamond it is. And I'm like, that's hilarious. And in, in my head, it's not like let's sell it. It doesn't even sound kind of weird. Like, yeah. sell the diamond from heaven. It's just like, I'm like what? So anyway, so um, so there's that. And then I, you know, I had some of the Pepany girls come over and like like Max saw it, and Ruth saw it, and some other people have come over and I've just shown it. I'm like, that's what fell out of the sky. Like, this is amazing. Um, and so then today we come in. Who has them now? You have one. Katie has a couple. Okay, so now we have four? Three. Four. Hilarious. Okay, so today, <laughs> I come in, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, we've got to move the chairs, you know? And, and this, is, this happened today, like, hours ago. And so I come in, and I'm walking, and now I'm looking, because I found one here, and then, I've, and then one dropped in Santa Cruz, so I'm like, okay, I'm looking. So I'm like, okay. So I'm looking around, and all of a sudden, in the exact same place as I found it on Saturday, it was sitting. It was right here. And I was like... And I just grabbed, and I didn't say anything to anybody, and we're just doing chairs, and I, and I put it in my hand. And then I'm doing chairs, and this aisle, I found one there, right, where Eileen's foot is, actually. It's funny. Um, and I found another one. I'm like, this is hilarious. And so then I'm like, I get some of the Pepony girls, and I was like, can we go outside? Pepony is a house, by the way. They have a house. It's amazing. God's movie. It's like a furnace. Okay. So I'm like, can you guys come out here for a second? And they're like, yeah, what's going on? And I was like, okay, I just found these. <laughs> and they're all, what? And they're like looking at it and stuff. And so I'm like, here, hold those. And then Michaela later was like, I found another one. And then as I was, and then I found another one here. Like I, right where I started preaching. I was like, you've got. right in the center of the aisles. Right yeah, I was like, you got to be kidding me. And that's what I've been looking for as I'm preaching. This whole time I'm preaching, I'm like, is there another one? <laughs> is, is there another one? <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> whatever. What I'm trying to say is that there, um, it, 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 if you have one, I'm... No, that is a bead. Okay, cool. just checking. No problem. Okay, so, um, he's all, I found a bead from heaven. No, but, um, okay, so, uh, the point here is what God's actually saying. Because Zach has been speaking to me for two weeks. He's like, dude, every time I'm thinking about your praying for you, God keeps saying, priest, priest, priest. And the ephod, you know, the linen ephod, and it had the jewels, then, and then even the, um, the, 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 the different foundations of Zion um, are, are, are made of, of different jewels and gems for the priestly order. It's like, a, it's a huge deal. So, um, so that's happening. And then, um, yeah, so that's amazing. Uh, I've been just getting these um, really incredible things uh, from the Lord recently that I think are incredible. I mean, whatever. But I know they're from the Lord, so... Um, and I want to talk about uh, right and wrong. And most of us, especially like the legalistic non-legalists, well, that's not our realm. Well, you're right, because, you know, in one sense, because, you know, we're, we're clean. Like, right and wrong doesn't determine your relationship with God, but that doesn't negate the, the, the reality of right and wrong. And so what I wanted to say is this. So now I'm actually getting into my actual message. Oh, I'll say it about ten more times, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, our ideas of right and wrong like, like we're not in the realm of right and wrong well in one sense that is actually true you're immune to your sin if you're covered in blood well covered in Jesus' blood <laughs> try to do that like Safeway's butcher department it's just going to get weird um, but uh, yeah um, back in the day there was a, um, you, you remember the church uh, Mars Hill they're still around they're in Seattle well Mars Hill you know they, all their worship teams are actually bands that play in town um, they just sing about Jesus. And um, they, uh, next to the, the sanctuary are two doors that you can walk through anytime during service, and it's an art gallery. 
And no one puts their names on any of the art, which is amazing. And it's all about Jesus. And they have an art director that actually lets things come in or not, you know. Basically, like, sense, just trying to sense if, if this is actually a revelation that's been given to people through this art or things like that, or if it's just somebody just trying to be an artist, you know. And I remember I said, there's one person, they would do limited edition screen printed shirts. And they would only do, like, 20 and then throw the screen print away and never make the shirt again. And it was this shirt, and it said right here over on the chest, it said, you can't tell, but I'm covered in blood. <laughs> it's, like, so cool. Okay, um, it, but the ideal, the idea of that. And so, um, yeah. And so here's, here's the, the idea of right and wrong. This won't be, I think, a long message, but I think it's very potent and it's very necessary. I'm going to give you a little backdrop. Um, I have been, I wouldn't have used this words even two weeks ago, but I have been blessed, I wouldn't have used those words, um, in being in a place of influence in the racial discussion of the U.S., with some Christian leaders. It's actually pretty amazing. At the time, I would not have said that was a blessing because I got sidelined. I got full-on sideswiped. I thought I was going to a meeting for something completely different, and I'm just like listening to everything that the Sacramento Bee and the New York Times and the Washington Post would say, even from that angle. I'm like, Ugh. I'm like, really? Like, I didn't come here for this. I don't mean I didn't come here for reconciliation, but I didn't come here for this. Because, yeah, people are angry. Yeah, people are hurt. But is that the, the point? Like, but it seems like that's the only thing being discussed. And I want to say this before I get into what I'm actually saying. Um, historically, propaganda techniques, you need to have people fearful and over-emotional. You have to. That's the only way you can do it. And one of our political parties in our nation is spending millions a month into this movement. Why? I just want to say that. Okay. You rarely, if ever, hear... I'm not, I'm not saying that Republicans are Christian. Like, like it's Christians or Republicans are the same thing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm only talking about this one section here, okay? Because Jesus isn't a Republican or a Democrat, okay? That might be shocking. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um... When we are being constantly bombarded with an idea of race over and over again in a very short amount of time, I, if you slow it down and you think about even the racial tensions of the last three years, would you say it's gotten better or worse in the last year and a half? Worse. Worse. Would you say bridges or barriers have been built more? Barriers. Yeah. Millions of dollars have been spent for that end from one political party. That's pretty freaking weird. And the people in that political party are the, like that, that, that vote for those peeps on a regular basis are the ones that think that the other political party are the racists. I want, just what's more racist? I'm not even talking politics here. I'm just talking humans. What's, what would be more racist and more demeaning? To say to you, you're an idiot and there's no way you can possibly have the character to come out of whatever you've been through. Or, oh and so, the government actually has to do it for you. Or, let's not even talk about your race, and let's just talk about character and what the Lord wants to do. What sounds more racist? And I know I even worded it in a certain way, but that's actually what they're saying. Like, and, and so this whole thing. So now I'm in this room, 
And these things are coming down, man. And I'm, like, watching all this stuff. And, like, one of the pastors is actually the guy that, like, organized the protest in downtown Sacramento. And he's the one talking the whole time. And I'm like, this is not okay. You know, like, in my head, I'm like, not like this is evil, but this doesn't make sense. This isn't the actual solution. And as we're sitting there, God starts downloading this thing. And, I, and in my dreams and in my waking life, God has been informing these things. And now I'm going to talk about what actual right and wrong is according to heaven. Not according to our lists. This is really important. If you didn't get anything I've said so far, this might be the most important thing for you to completely remove the, um, the temptation to start being reactive instead of responding. Because most of us, the only thing we know about racism is we don't want to be accused of something. That's all we know. Like, dude, I just love people. Is that okay? Like... And so we, we were told to tiptoe and all these other things because otherwise somebody could accuse us of being a racist and then what? Now, if we're generally racist, okay, maybe we need to deal with that. But like, but you guys just seeing differences in people isn't racism. But if you put an ism after any word, then anything re resembling the first root word can be seen as a problem. But not all, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, please, I'm just going to give you a little bit here, but just do yourself a favor and never say this to anybody. I'm colorblind. Well, then why are you telling them? You see what I'm saying? It's a trite, really shallow thing to say. So I just want to say that because we're trained to say that. What you really want to say is this. You know, it's very easy for me to disregard the differences visually between you and I. That's a pretty easy thing for me. That's what you want to say. Is that okay? It's really easy for me to just disregard and minimize the differences visually between you and I. Let's get to the heart. You're done. But I'm colorblind. Well, then why are you telling that person that? <laughs> Unless you tell every human being that, and maybe we can have a conversation. Um, maybe we can pray that you can, you know, see color. Um, okay. Now we're getting into right and wrong. But this is, good. this is a good thing. I'm not trying to get us to be ruled by the ideas of right and wrong. That's not what I'm doing. But, I'm but I, I, I know that God has taken me up from all the 10,000 problems of the minutia and brought me up and said, here's how you separate bone from marrow. You want it? Yeah. Okay, send your name, David. You're going to get it. Okay. Um, two people want it. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right. Oh, you did? You just whispered? I said, yaw. Yaw. Okay. Now, this is the definition of right and wrong. You can take this to the bank. Nothing you can insert into this can change this. Right is what exists in heaven and the order thereof. And wrong is what doesn't exist in heaven or the order thereof. And that's it. That's it. That's it. It's not a list. Well, this thing is wrong and this thing is right. Really? Well, how do you know? We don't, we don't, just like Martin Lloyd-Jones, we don't, we don't come to this conclusion by counting heads. This isn't democracy when it comes to right and wrong. Heaven's order is a very dogmatic, intolerant thing. It is, and that's okay. That's okay. I love Martin Lloyd-Jones. I almost want to play that entire thing I played, you guys, for the church. I might. What, the interview? Yeah, that'd be so good. Anyway. That this girl is interviewing this guy, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he was a Presbyterian minister who fully believed that Holy Spirit should have absolute authority and dominion over every decision in the church. But he's a Presbyterian with his robes, and he was the, the head pastor of Westminster Chapel. He's amazing. 
Uh, I love him. Okay, so um, he's being he's being interviewed by um, by Joan Blackwell, who is considered one of the faces of nudism and hedonism and all these other isms that just I mean always end up in more problems and less freedom internally always. Um, and so here she is. She's like. Um, she's asking her all these questions, and she starts out kind of cocky, and by the end of the meeting, she's just like a little girl with her dad. Like, just like, like, thank you, Dr. Martin Jones. <laughs> thank you. Like, he, he just dads her for 20 minutes, and like, and she keeps trying to like, hand him all the trapping questions that most of us today don't even know how to deal with, because we're not, we're not asking what heaven says about it. We're just letting the, the question dictate our response. Can you imagine if Jesus did that in the in the in the wilderness? Like, no, like, you, you don't let the question dictate your response. That's not what happens. Like, if you talk to a woman, like, have you been deceived enough that you will actually um, believe that sex isn't about the deepest connection between two committed, wonderful like people in God's image that you actually never have to wonder again if they're ever going to leave you. Like that, that whole idea isn't even there. You don't have to try to keep them. You don't have to try to do any of this. It's not about manipulation. It's not about control. It's not about um, comparing to other sexual experiences that other people have had or anything like that. Can you imagine if, if in the heart of that, like someone who genuinely like knows the pure essence heaven of actual, the oracle between God and man, which is sex, between a, a husband and wife. It's, it's the bride of Christ and Jesus. He, he knew he was doing all this before he even created man and woman, before he created the parts that fit. You don't have to try them out before you get married. And I just want to say that. And I'm, they fit. <laughs> Promise. And, um, and so, uh, okay, PG-13, whatever. And so, um, so, so here it is. Uh, um, by the way, single men, single young men, Tomorrow at Zach's house at noon, we're meeting, and we're going to be um, basically showing you the difference between what you think a woman's heart has been and what it actually is. And we're going to be tough. And we're going to be actually, right? And you don't have to worry about condemnation and shame. It will not be in that room. No one's going to be cleaning the shotguns be like, you freaking idiots. That's not what's happening, okay? Like, what it is is actually, do you want to be a man who understands a woman? Not just to get what you want but actually to be who you are. Yes! Yay! Because okay? so that's, that's your greatest joy. That, that's your, I promise, it's your greatest joy. When you're walking in who you are, in heaven's order, there's no greater joy than that. It's invincible. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Okay, just a little side thing. That's tomorrow. That is tomorrow. Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> Zach's like, it's tomorrow? I mean, yeah, totally, it's tomorrow. Um, okay, yeah. So, a little side there. Side there. Can you imagine... What it would look like somehow spiritually in the heart of a woman to be born as an oracle of the bride of Christ just for the sake that she's a female alone. She's a prophetic, a walking prophetic oracle of the church. Right? This is why we honor women. Not why, that's not the only reason, but it's a good freaking reason. Okay. Just then, their very existence their integrated self, where everything in their heart touches everything else in their heart. Sounds like the body of Christ, right? In its pure form. And yet we as men are taught to ridicule that and want them to compartmentalize and want them to do these things. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't do that with us? 
Aren't you glad that Jesus isn't to us what most men are to women? But us as men and women, we are prophetic oracles every moment for, for the church and Jesus. This is heaven's order. Now, if you saw from that perspective, can't you already, doesn't it seem like it becomes more simple all of a sudden right now? Like, isn't that more simple? It becomes like a clearer path to walk. But all I gave you was heaven's order on that one subject. And there's more there, but that's for tomorrow noon. Okay, well, <laughs> right and wrong. I want to say this. If you take any attribute of God, I don't care what it is, patience, peace, uh, forgiveness, kindness, long-suffering, tolerance, uh, inclusion, whatever it is, if you take any one of those things and you exalt itself above God, you lose both immediately. I'll say it again. You take patience and you exalt itself above God, meaning you say patience, it, 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 everything is encapsulated in patience. You lose both. I don't mean like you lose his love for you. I mean you lose connection with what your daily activities with what God's actually saying. Because his attributes aren't him. I mean singular. Yeah, God is love. Check. But love isn't God. Yeah. Just want to say that. Okay. Um, all right. Now, um, because what he's saying is God embodies love. You see what I'm saying? But love doesn't embody God. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So, tolerance. Dude, especially the last 10 years. It's like weird. Centuries have gone by in just the last 10 years. It's like, we got to be tolerant. we got to do this. Blah, blah, blah. And like, and look, I'm just not afraid to talk about this. I'm sorry, but it's heaven. So I'm just going to talk about stuff that everybody's afraid to talk about. Yeah. Well, hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> do you ordain gay bishops? No. Well, why not? Are we supposed to be tolerant? Yeah, if you take tolerance and make it God. Yeah. But, but in heaven, that's not, that's not the order of heaven. And that's okay. It's not a hateful comment. There's no hate in it. It's not hate. It doesn't mean anything outside of heaven you hate. Are we saying that? Like, you hate a person. Any person that's not... Really? Well, then we, we call that down on ourselves, too. We're not asking... It says that... If, even, even this, it says that if, if, if you have something against your brother, um, go to them. And if they don't hear you, then take two or three more. And if they don't hear you, then take them to the elders. And if they still don't hear, treat them as a tax collector and a sinner. But how do we treat tax collectors and sinners? With love. They just, what it's saying is, now they're your ministry. <laughs> That's it. It's not like God's like, and eventually, cut them off. What? No. You're not cutting all the tax collectors and sinners in your town, are you? And if you are, maybe you should change your approach. <laughs> and so what happens is we're talking about the order of heaven. See how it makes all this easier? You don't ordain anyone that calls sin good and asks others to partake in it. That's why you don't ordain a gay bishop. It doesn't mean you can't, you can't have people that still are convinced that that's what they need to be doing. Otherwise, all of you would have never gotten saved in the first place. Right. Unless you're one of these folks like my wife got saved when she was three. But besides that, I wouldn't have gotten saved. How would, how would you even get to Jesus through that weird veil? That's a weird one. It's, it's impenetrable. You can't get to Jesus through other people telling you that you can only get to Jesus if you're already clean. It's impossible because you need his cleanliness to get to him. So that's not what we're saying. We're not saying that like that people that are somehow living this like this 
these, these choices where they're actually having sex with their friends, it's like, you did what with your friend? Like, come on, man, like, it's okay. You know, like, sheesh. You know, like, that's what people are afraid of the most in prison. I mean, there's other things going on here. It's just really intense, you know? Um, Paul even said they receive in themselves. That is a physical word. It's not in the spirit. They receive in themselves their due punishment. It's talking about a physical thing here. It's like a big deal. But, you know, but at the same time, you know what? Like, I can say this about all the whole sense of other sins. Do I hate these other people in their sins and this people in their sins? Of course not. But anything to get away from the heart. And nowadays, it's becoming more acceptable and common and actually just relished that whenever you don't like what somebody is saying, you actually levy a, a societal dangerous accusation against them. You're hateful. You're racist. Like, what? I didn't know that the conversation was going in that direction. Like, that's not what was happening. But I cannot deal with this thumping thing in my chest. So it's you. You're diabolical. Okay, now. Whew. I cannot imagine my great, great grandfather and mother being completely enslaved and then their children are born and are on our property for somebody else. And then their children are born and are property for someone else. And then those children are born and finally it's considered illegal but there's still a sentiment in the nation they live in. But the words of the nation are freedom and liberty for all. And then what that looks like and then just trying to have these conversations and you're either completely demeaned or made invisible. And the anger that that would create, even in us, even if we feel that for one day, we get so irate. And imagine, you all know this, that, that unforgiveness and anger and all these things are passed generationally. You know that. I hope. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously, if it's covered under the blood and you forgive, well, it's done. But anything, you, I'm going I'm to give you a nugget. This is free, okay? No charge. I'm not saying. Totally free. Anything you do not deal with internally, you will pass to your children. It's handed to you. That was free. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. Well, then guess who's going to have to deal with it? Guess what? Guess why all those things are perpetrated on you when you were little? Because they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with it. That's why. That's why. Courageous, vibrant, Awake, alive, courage. Courage, courage, courage. Courageous courage. When you're in heaven, none of that means anything. It's so useless to, to, to even look to fear for a second and ask its permission. When you're, when you're coming from the heavenly realm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get all like physics on you for a second. This is just for some people in the room, okay? I'm going to use some different words. Some of you might think it's new age. I just don't care. Because I could, I could use words that are spirit, and it means the same thing. So I might be being told by God to do this just to mess with maybe some, <laughs> some legalism and then maybe reach out to some others. Heaven, you know that we only know 10% of all measurable frequencies in, 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 in the universe, in our, in, our, in our world. Only 10%. You can see them. It's like a circle. It's a circle. And you can see like light, sound, radio, x-rays, whatever. We only know 10% of the measurable universe. What about the other 90%? 90%. And so to use that idea, picture you're, 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 you're operating at a frequency up here. And then to go down here, you have to go to such a, a 
a gross, I don't mean gross like nasty, I mean gross what it actually means, like tangible and like overly obvious way. And you, you have to like turn it down so that you can no longer get that radio station anymore. But you are the radio station. Did I lose some of you with that? A little bit. I'm not saying you're a radio station. I'm using an analogy. Okay, so, um, like, you know, like, you're tuning a radio, and you can hear, like, you know, it goes all the way to 107.9 and all the way down to, like, 80, whatever. Well, you have to, you're, as you're turning that knob, it's actually increasing the, the number of times the waves are going. That's what your frequency is, how frequent the waves are going up and down. And as you turn it up to go to 107.9, it's actually 107.9 wavelengths versus 87 point whatever wavelengths. All right. Now, um, your radio, you're just you're just turning it until eventually it's 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 oscillating at the exact same tempo as the radio station that's sending the signal. And then you hear it. That's what I'm trying to get to. Heaven is broadcasting. Heaven is existent. And I don't mean like, I'm not talking about like, because you, you, you approach this with faith. You don't approach this through, through self-righteousness and body manipulation. That's not where I'm going. That's where the New Age goes wrong. They don't understand this is spirit. You can only, we are spirit. And you can only access spirit through faith. You, you, don't, you don't approach that through breathing exercises and, and stretching and like turning your body into a pretzel. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Crystals aren't designed to get you to the throne. Transcendental meditation isn't even you going anywhere. It's one demon staying with you and another demon going there and showing you what it sees. You're not going anywhere. You're not astral projecting. You just aren't. I know from experience. You're not astral projecting. But you think you are. You're being deceived. They're deceivers. They're liars. They're accusers. They're not your friends. You're not astral projecting at all. You're right where you are. The demon's going, and it's telling you what it's seeing, and it's actually giving you the impression that you are doing the very thing. I'm not saying every one of you are trying to astral project. I'm just, I'm just talking. All right. But these things are freaking real. They just are. So what happens is, is heaven's out here, and it's saying this is what right and wrong is. And then we try to go brrrr and go all the way down to like 87.9, like the jazz station or something. And we're like, why can't... What? Why doesn't this make any sense? It's because you're not supposed to be on that station. You're supposed to go all the way back up to 107 point whatever where heaven is. Like, what is heaven saying about this? Does it exist in heaven? Does this thing exist in heaven? If it does, what is the order of it in heaven? That is what right is. Does this thing exist in heaven? And if not, okay, why not? Then it's wrong. That's it. And what do we do with right and wrong? Grace. But we don't, we don't agree with wrong. Just because you have grace on something doesn't mean it's right. Just because God uses something for good doesn't make the thing good. God actually, a lot of the times, actually, you've heard me say this before, but he actually disapproves of the moral nature of some of the things that he ordains. You want proof? The crucifixion of his son. It, because this is more about reconciling all things in heaven and earth to him. That's the point. But reconciliation sometimes needs annihilation. Reconciling someone to him, that thing they believe needs to be annihilated. It's just, it's just true. It's just true. Some of you are walking testimonies of this. He annihilated my fear. He annihilated my mistrust. 
right? You know it. You, like this thing is like, it used to be all powerful and has six arms and be like, dude, I got you. And now it's like, <laughs> it's like limping on the ground. It's like pulling itself by like one claw left or whatever. You know? Well, that's good news. Um, somebody the other day, they said, I just feel like, okay. <laughs> I don't even want to embarrass you if I even say, you were in my house two nights ago. You were with somebody else, and you said what you were dealing with on an insecurity level. And then I told you the reason why you're being hit with that. Can I share it? Great. Thank you. Okay. So I just didn't want to, you know. Okay. Okay. So Megan is like hanging out in our living room. And um, she starts to talk about how she is dealing with something very common in the human condition, by the way, especially the woman's condition because of who you are and how much Satan hates you. He hates you more than men. He just does. Because um, you co-create and you're... Your very frame is like an arc. And I could really go for a long time with that one. But, I, but for right now, um, there's a lot of things you guys got going on. And so, um, uh, so what happens is, is you guys get hit with worth. Yeah. And you get told to compare. Because you can't believe you're, worth, you're worthless unless you compare to other things you think at worth. So comp comparison is actually something very, very, that runs very deep in the temptation mechanisms of a woman's heart. Um, most of you have woman wounds. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I don't want to go to that thing with the ladies. Because you don't like that look. All of you women hate it. Some of you do it. But you hate it. You hate being in that room. And that one girl is over there. And maybe she's better or prettier or whatever. Or maybe she knows. That she, or maybe she thinks, but she isn't. Or whatever it is. But the comparison, that thing, that weird thing that shows up in, in when women are insecure and they start wondering about other women instead of loving other women. That thing. It's so demonic. And so what happens is all of a sudden you get these ones that are such a vibrant, burning example, like blazing like a torch, not burning like consumed, but like, like the burning bush. You know? And they're just these burning ones. They're just like such an oracle for freedom. And then to hear this one who is of such high worth that everyone around her would say the exact same thing. That everyone would say, not only are you beautiful, but you're like physically beautiful. And like these whole things, like everything you could possibly have an insecurity about, you, you are walking in the very antithesis of your insecurity. Megan. And then Megan says this. She goes, you know, I've just been really getting hit a, a lot with like my worth. And like really like being told that I'm worthless and and these thoughts keep coming up, and, and I just feel like, and she, she, starts, she starts talking, the lies start coming out into this place where they're not allowed. <laughs> and so I'm like, and so they're, they're coming out, and, and, the whole, and all I'm saying is like, okay, God, what do the lies want to stop? What, do, what are they endeavoring to stop? And so she keeps going. So now I'm listening for the antithesis of the lie, because the lies want her to stop doing something. So it, it focuses on a specific thing. Like, like, you won't be taken care of. Right. But yet you are a walking man. You, you have the mantle. You're like, you're this freaking Jen Anderson. You're walking in this, this for all to see, like a high place, but in a good way. Like, this is what favor looks like. Right. So what do you get hit with? I can't receive, and it's not going to happen. That's what you get hit with. Besides Zach, you have more favor than anyone I've ever met. Really. Okay. 
Zach's like, I'm like, no. But, but seriously, like, it's just one of those things. But this is what, this is why you get hit with what you can get hit with. You know what I get hit with? You went too far. You offended. You were too callous. You don't have access to people's hearts because of it. You have to apologize. You have to stay away from people for a while so they can heal the wound you created. That's what I do. So what's the wound trying to stop? <laughs> Me engaging and actually walking in my giftings and encouraging and, and prophetically giving people context for the things that they're dealing with. So what are you being lied to about? What is it trying to stop? The point is, okay, you ever heard this, when you're going through hell, don't stop? <laughs> if, like, uh, somebody lies to you, you don't stop doing what you're doing. Like, well, what do you mean by that? Let's talk about the lie. No. Don't stop. Like, you don't, don't slow down and wonder what the lie's saying. Screw the lie, says the Lord. Like, <laughs> the lie means nothing. The lie, the only thing the lie is trying to get you to do is to stop. Come on. You guys, you know how many, you know how useless what I'm about to say is. Check this out. Well, I don't know why I do this thing. Let me go back into my past and like think about it for five years. And all of a sudden you're not moving fast. You're not going forward anymore. You guys, psychology, God bless them. You know, like psychologists. But you know what? Like, you don't need to know why you do all these things. You just don't. At least not that way. You know what, you know what they're doing? Well, let's figure out 30 other reasons why you can legitimize why you're doing all this. And then let's try to heal it. What? How about this? You're not in heaven's order. Just get back to it. Your joy's going to increase. You'll be so full that by the time you actually find out why, you won't even care. Uh, Raise your hand if that's already happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. A third of the room? Amen. Awesome. I would say another third probably doesn't need that kind of healing. So we're at 50% probably. Look. Ah, right and wrong. Right and wrong. You guys, like... Is Christ's church supposed to be tolerant in one sense? Yeah. Is every single thing in the body of Christ supposed to be run through if it's tolerant or not? No. No. I don't know if you remember who said this. You brood of vipers. <laughs> that was Jesus. Look. You guys, I'm going to quote Martin Lloyd-Jones here, but Christianity is a very dogmatic and intolerant faith. What does dogmatic mean? It means it means this and this and this and this and this. It's very dogmatic. But that's like, we're, we're like afraid to say that. Like, well, I mean, are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm positive. Like, you know, you know the, um, the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy? That's not talking about Satan. Sorry. Go look it up. Like, I don't mean look it up in the strong concordance. I mean read the scripture. Jesus isn't talking about Satan. He just isn't. He's actually talking about the Pharisees. He actually says that I am the gate. And I'm the only way in. I'm the sheep gate. The sheep come through the gate, but the thief jumps over the wall. And the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy. I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to preach all like weird doctrine. Look it up yourself. Check it out. But that's true. He's not talking about Satan. Satan does not come to rob, kill, and destroy. He comes to lie, to tempt, and to accuse. I don't know about y'all, but if I had to get in a fist fight with somebody, I'd much rather fight the guy that was lying and tempting and accusing than robbing and killing and destroying. We give Satan way too much credit, especially since we have all power and authority given to, unto us by the throne of God. All right. I'm hoping this is doing something. Okay. All right. Right? Yeah, yes. 
Have you guys seen Madagascar 3? Like, the weirdest, like, like, the problems in the first two movies are just completely, but, like, every time, like, somebody says stir it up, I picture this tiger in the middle, like, open up, let it shine, I'm like, okay, this is amazing, every time somebody does that, I'm thinking, this song by Katy Perry and this tiger, like, turning this thing in a circus, I'm like, I don't know, that maybe one day it'll change, um, okay. Hey, Brian, can we make Screw the Lie t-shirts? Screw the Lie. Yeah, with the screw on Yeah. It says, say it the Lord. The say it the Lord, yeah. <laughs> text, text me that. I actually have an, a, an Evernote. Um, okay, if you guys ever have t-shirt ideas like that, just send them to me, because one day we're going to have a clothing company, and and the... <laughs> I have, I have an a, a Evernote account, and, and one of the, the notebooks is just t-shirt ideas. That's all it is. Yeah. Anyway, well. Okay, in fact, one from you, actually. Really, Cindy Day, she said, I'm not winking at you, that's just a log in my eye. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Okay, yeah, come on. So, <laughs> all right, um, I'm going to transition, but what, but what I want to get here before this is I want to talk about the solution to the racial issue in America. I'm not kidding. And it's actually very simple. Really. Um, just like you can talk about the problem in the Middle East. Just let the kids out, it's fine. If, if you got kids, can you get them? We're going to keep going. You can bring them in here or whatever. If they're, if, they're, if they're freight trains, though, maybe you can chain them to the chair or something. Okay. Great. Okay, but everybody else... Yeah, I know, right? Hands up to drag the chair. But everybody else, keep, keep here, because I'm literally going to give you the solution to the racial issue in America. I'm serious. I'm not just going to give you a generalization, either. So, you ready? They're all... Brian's either really cocky or really annoyed right now. Um, yeah, um, because it's complicated but only because it's made complicated. From heaven, it's simple. Here it is. You don't come under the... Just, just what, step one. You being the solution, you don't come under the accusation. Because this entire thing is rooted in the demonic accuser. So that's the first thing you do. You don't get confused by the accuser. You just don't take it on. You walk in confidence that that accusation is wrong. That's number one. Ready? Number one. So you don't, you don't have to worry about somebody calling you racist. It doesn't matter. If I called you a three-headed purple zebra, you know it's not true. <laughs> so why do you have to wonder if you're racist? Just because it's, it's spoken loud and long enough doesn't make it true, even though that is what Goebbels, the, um, the Nazi propagandist, said would happen. Yeah. You don't give them a small lie. You give them a big one, and you yell it loud and long enough, and the entire nation will believe it. But if you do a small lie, it won't make sense. You have to pick a big one. Okay? You're not racist. Just because you see differences in humans doesn't mean you're racist. Otherwise, God himself is a racist because he made people different. <laughs> All right? That's number one. Just because you see differences doesn't mean you're racist. You're talking to someone that is hurting. And differences has become the very root of their hurt. The temptation is for them to erase all differences. But at the same time, they're schismed means torn or, 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 or divided. Because they sense deep down, though, that their, their culture itself is actually vibrant and beautiful. But it denotes a difference immediately. So it creates this duality, which is why you have hypocrisy on all sides. Here's the solution. The kingdom. <laughs> you love someone one at a time. Your only stewardship, your stewardship is not what CNN is trying to get you to be overwhelmed with, so you'll just do whatever they say. That's not your stewardship. Your stewardship is to love the ones God hands you. Love the one you're with. Yeah. Okay? 
That's it. That's all your stewardship is. You know what my stewardship as a pastor, as a steward, is? Is whoever shows up into this room and whoever is, is surrounding me. I don't have to worry about where we're going to be if we have 800 people. Because we just don't have 800 people right now. And if we did, well then guess what? God's going to give me grace for that. You don't have to wonder about racism right now. I mean, right now, this moment. You don't have to wonder about that. You just don't have to wonder about it. And you know what? If you're, if you're downtown Sacramento or somewhere else that's a bit more diverse, to say the least, than Rockland, Roseville. <laughs> okay, well then, guess what? You don't have to try to prove yourself every moment. Step two. You don't, you don't prove yourself. God proves you. That's, that's the heart of the gospel. You never have to prove yourself again. Right? Step three. This is, this is the biggie. Step three right here. You take what you understand about eternity and you walk it out whatever may be. That is the solution to everything in your entire life. What is God saying in the moment? This is the cure for racism in America. What is God saying in the moment through you personally? Can you imagine if the news today, instead of talking about how the government needs to solve all these problems and like free health care and all this stuff, what if it was this? What if the president and CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and both political parties and everybody was saying something like this? The government is not your savior. <laughs> Instead, we call on every single American to go down your street and meet every one of your neighbors. Have victory barbecues every week. May the smog increase every Friday night because everyone is cooking food outside with their neighbors and seeing how they can reach in and help. And it's free. <laughs> Just an idea. So here's the deal. Here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the solution. What is God telling you right now? And tomorrow, ask the same question. And when you go somewhere else, ask the same question. God, what are you asking me to do right now? What are you saying? What are you saying? And I want to, I want to say something that's going to mess with legalists, and then I'm going to talk about uh, Portland and Africa, and then we're going to go home. Or hang out and talk around. Um, it's this. like four things going on at the same time. So, um, When God is speaking to you in the moment, that is the only thing you're responsible for. It's the only thing you're responsible for. That's actually why we're called Kairos. It's the moment by moment, the, the, the momentary word of God. What is he doing right now? And then not just like some like way to promote our brand. I mean, it's actually like we didn't even know that that's where we're going to be as a church. It just kind of happened. And one day we figured it out. We're like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> we're doing what our name means. It wasn't this like we're going to be unto this, brother. We got a mission statement. We don't have a mission statement. You know why? Because those become immediate ceilings for everybody else that are new. That's why we don't have one. <laughs> I don't want a ceiling. <laughs> so we don't have a mission statement. <laughs> you know what the mission statement is? However we live together. That's the mission statement. transition here. Um, you may or may not know this, but our, our church is actually, we, we, we support certain things in Uganda. Certain, certain movements, and then certain families. And um, one of my best friends, Emma, in Africa, he drowned in a pool. 
And, and he was under the water for 25 minutes, a pool that, that Katie and I were teaching people how to swim in. So if you can imagine what the enemy wanted to do with that. And um, his, uh, when he died, he was the only one providing for his children. And some of us are so Americanized, we don't, we don't realize that the opportunities here don't exist everywhere else. I literally had friends of mine say this to me years ago. We were, there's widows during the, the, the drought, and they don't eat for a week or two, and they're in their 80s, because there's no, there's no welfare, there's no, there's no programs, there's no, you know what I mean? That's just not how it works. Prince, you live in Uganda. You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and so, um, so what we do on a regular basis, even though we haven't done it for a long time, but um, my hope would be is that uh, us as a church would actually send the money necessary to support those widows. Because she's like, well, don't give them a hand out, give them a hand up. They're 80 years old. <laughs> Their families have abandoned them. They're not, they're not just like living in somebody's house and watching cable TV and drinking bottles of wine every day and then wanting your charity, which even then is okay too. But I'm, what I'm trying to know is that they don't have anything literally. And they sometimes walk, this is somewhat common in the village we are, they walk six miles at night to the market center after hours. There's king cobras and crap. Am I exaggerating? No, no, exactly. Prince is like, you are not exaggerating. Okay. Um, and they walk at night with no headlamp, no flashlight, no nothing, sometimes by starlight and sometimes by memory because it's so dark, which is really weird. Like the villages, literally you cannot see anything sometimes. It's weird. It's so weird. It's like, <laughs> you see the stars, but if it's cloudy, there's no ambient light coming from towns away from you like here. It's just <laughs> dark. You're like... so true. Right? And so they're walking, and they walk all the way to, by memory, and they get to the market, and they look at the... They find dried beans that have been stepped on and trampled into the dirt. And they, once a week... And once a week, they'll actually find maybe a cup or two of these beans. And they'll take those home. They'll bring them home. They'll wash them really good in the swamp, so it's not really good. And, um, and they'll take swamp water, and they'll actually make these beans. They'll have one meal of beans a week. Um, the, the wealthier of the widows had a chicken. So you get an egg every two days. This is not like for us to feel bad of where we live. This is not, there's no guilt at all in this. This is all opportunity. This is all kingdom, Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to like show you a picture of a kid with a, a fly ice skating on his eyeball or something. It's not what's going to happen, okay? What we're doing is we're actually telling you about the friends that we have and why we send them money. That's what we're doing, okay? Yeah. This is the reason. Okay. So, because you don't have to feel guilty about buying a new hat or buying some coffee or something. That's not what happens. The, that's not the point. The point is, what is God asking you to do on a daily basis? Where does your conscience lay? If you don't feel guilty or whatever... Thank you, because guilt is all swallowed up on the cross. There's no shame. Jesus went to the cross despising the shame. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. That's not what we're talking about. We're not camping out at that place. We're just telling you a need here, and Katie and I have just been like juggling a lot of them. This is usually when it rains and pours at Kairos. All of a sudden, it's like people coming out the woodwork in the same week. Hey, I've got this need. I was wondering if you could talk to the church about it. Hey, I've got this thing. And that's what's happening now. So um, we just have two that we really feel like it's the Lord. So the first one isn't even the widows, believe it or not. That's just, that's just an ongoing thing that if you guys ever want to do that, hallelujah. Just let me know. I would actually love it if some, maybe some other people could just feel that or something. But here's the thing. Our friend Vincent, his little baby that he named after me, Brian Edward, um, 
his little baby fell really sick, like almost to death. Um, he's only been born like a month ago. And so he brought his son on the motorcycle with his wife. His, that's how he makes his money, his motorcycle. Through the mud, because it's rainy season. Um, to the hospital. And now the hospital wants, the equivalent of him would be about a year and a half's wages for the bill. Um, and uh, then his motorcycle broke down on the way home. And that's how he gets his money. So he emails me and he's like, he's like, you are my savior. <laughs> this is how they talk, you know. And I was like, I'm not your savior. <laughs> Jesus is your savior and that's weird. But you're still my brother. Let's talk more about this. So we start talking about these things and, um, well, uh, the bill is really high for him. It's $120. You see what I'm saying? It's like, really? Oh, by the way, those widows, to feed them well and they're actually eating every single day, for them, it's a lot of money. It's $100 a month. 14 widows. Not three. See what I'm saying? 14 widows on $100 a month? This is what I'm saying. It's like, it's not like this like massive thing where we gotta go do like a freaking cookie sale or something. You know what I mean? Man, how are we gonna do it? Okay, I mean, Okay, um, so anyway, uh, Vincent needs 120 bucks. So I wanted to throw that out for you guys. He needs 120 bucks, okay? So you can come and see me afterwards or whatever, that's fine. And the second one is this. Now, this was the Lord that right when Katie came back from Florida, Zach, really, Zach and I both felt separately that he would take the services for three weeks because four days later, my sister died. And I don't, I don't have a lot of family, like... Some of you have like a million cousins and like 80 siblings and stuff. She's actually my cousin, but I say my sister because it's not understood when I say cousin because half, half of you have 900 cousins or something. It's like, yeah, cousin dies like once a month. I got 900. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, not like they weren't, you know what I mean. It's like, yeah, I've been dealing with that my whole life. I had, I had my dad, his brother, and both of them had once one, one child. And that's it. There's no, nothing else. And so her name was Lisa. And, um, so, um, her name is Lisa, or is Lisa, wherever she is still, um, and, uh, I'm, I'm learning how to feel at all times, everything, whatever it is, like Kairos in my actual heart. So I'll just be randomly, like, working, and I'll just get super sad, and I'll just start crying. I'm like, okay. And what God is curing me of is protecting me from my own heart. That's what he's curing me of. And I think it's on the menu for our church. Emotions come up, and I'm not afraid of what they're going to do. I just let them show up and do whatever they do. Whatever it is. Some of you that know me for a long time, this is music to your ears. I used to say this in church. I used to say, I don't mourn people. I would say this. And I would also say this. That might be a problem. I would give a caveat. It might be a problem. And this is what I would say. Because they're either in hell and I can do nothing about it, or they're in heaven and I can do nothing about it. That's what I used to say. Because it was a practical thing. And some of us, you know what I'm talking about. Your hearts have become so hurt, or at least you've responded to hurt in your heart so much, that you turn everything emotional into logic. How do you feel? Well, and you start giving them facts about the day. That's not how you feel. Right? Um, and so this is what God's doing with me. Well, when she died, she died unexpectedly. Uh, she had stage four. I mean, we knew this eventually happened, but unexpectedly quick is how it happened. And her nephew, 
I'm sorry, wow, her son, my nephew, um, his name's Nicholas, and uh, he's 14 years old now, and he's right at that age, and um, her religion was CNN, that is not an exaggeration, she would only talk about what CNN talks about, every talking point of CNN is what she believed, and because I'm this white Republican Christian from California suburb, like, but she loved me so much, and we had like the most incredible conversations until the day I got saved. And then all of a sudden she would come to town and not even let me know that she was here. And four hours before she has to be on an airplane, then she'd call me. Hey, I've been in town for three days. Do you want to see me before I leave? And the whole time she's just talking, the whole time. Talking, 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 Because she can't have that conversation. She doesn't want to talk about the slower things. My Aunt Velta, I've told you about some, some of you about her. She's in her 80s. Uh, you know, um, have you ever heard of Oxygen? It's a women's ministry. Um, and there was this like crazy huge speaking tour that... It's like a women's ministry, but I don't know what it's called, forget. She runs all that with, with a bunch of 30-year-olds, which is like really funny, because she's like 84 or something. And like, and then she's just all like bright-eyed and like bushy-tailed, and she's just like, oh my land, God is just moving and it's totally amazing. And, and she thought I was this like, uh, ref, like a reformed like cessationist Christian, because she was only hearing from my grandmother. So my grandmother would be editing, you know, because she was a Southern Baptist. So she's only telling Velta things that she would feel comfortable with. And then, and then my grandmother's only telling me things about Velta's life that she would be comfortable with. So I thought Velta was a cessationist Southern Baptist until my grandma died. And, and all of a sudden I'm talking to my Aunt Velta and we get back from Africa and um, we're not doing well. We were going through trauma counseling and... Um, and Velta goes, okay, I don't know what you've heard about this church, and I, I, I can just assure you that I know people there, but I don't know if you've ever heard of a church called Bethel and Reading, but I know there's a lot of negative things to talk about it, but if you could just go check it out, I think it'd be really good for you. They have a trauma counseling problem. And I'm just starting, I'm trying to get her to shut up, and I'm like, Velta, Velta, we're in that stream. And then she's like, I just knew it. God was just talking to me, and she was all excited, and like, this whole thing. And Anyway, so Velta called me, um, uh, three days before my cousin Lisa died, but I say my sister, just for intents and purposes. Um, and uh, Velta says, you know, Brian, I just knew that, that you'd just been planting the seeds of the gospel in her heart for the last 14 years, and that's why I knew I just had an open door. And in my head, I'm like, I have not had that conversation with, my, <laughs> with Lisa. That was not allowed. That was, like, pretty much impossible. Um, so she called Lisa, and she said, up top. So she called Lisa, and she said, um, and she's like, Lisa, I, just, I know you're coming to the end, and I just don't want you to talk. I just need you to listen to me. And she's like, you're coming to the end, and, and, and that's the end, and, and all these other things that you've believed, in, and that's okay. You, you can believe whatever you want, but now you're finally at the end. And so now it comes down to what's really important. Where are you going to be? And, and she just starts preaching the gospel to Lisa. And at a certain point, she's talking to Lisa. Now, Lisa, my sister, the, most, the high points of her life are family reunions. In, a, in the Burkett family reunions. That was like the high point of her very existence. Out of everything else, that was her high point. And so here's uh, Velta, and she starts talking to her about the gospel. She starts talking to her about Jesus. And then, right then, my, my sister starts crying over the phone. And she goes, I miss Granny. Which was my grandmother that raised Lisa from a little child. You're hearing the gospel, and you start crying, and start talking about how you miss your grandmother that raised you and took you to church your whole life. This is amazing, okay? And then Velta, she says, well, sweetheart, that's the good news. Is this entire thing's about a reunion. And she starts talking about this reunion in heaven and reconciliation and all these amazing things. And then she says, sweetheart, I just need to know that you're going to be with us the rest of the family in eternity. Like, I need to know. I need to know. So do you believe? Like, do you believe that you... And she says, I believe. 
Now, I know enough to know that my, sis that my sister was so, like, hardened to all this. It is a strong possibility that she could have been like, look, I just need to get this, this, this lady that I love to stop talking about this so we can just move on to something else. Like, I know that that is a possibility, okay? But then her husband called the next day. Arnie is not messing around. Arnie called the next day, Velta's husband, and, she, and he calls. And he's like, sweetheart, I know that, that, my, that, that Velta totally told you all this of yesterday. Well, you said you believe, but I need to make absolutely sure. And so he like went off on this whole other end. Like, do you know that Jesus is the only way? She says, yes. Do you know that, da, da, da. She like, kept affirming these yeses and the whole thing. So um, I am just choosing to believe that Lisa is in heaven. And I've been asking God for a fleece. God, if she's in hell, I need a Lazarus experience. I don't mean like raising the dead. I mean like, because she just cremated, that'd be amazing. Um, uh, but, like, um, but more like, you know, Lazarus with the rich young ruler. When the rich young ruler is in hell, but Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. And, and the rich young ruler says, please go back and tell them. So they won't be here. Like, I'm asking for that. I'm asking for a fleece from the Lord. I usually don't ever ask for fleeces. Um, but um, we're going up to Portland. And you guys, we don't have standing cash. My wife and I don't even have a savings account, okay? We're just, we're Kairos moment even in our finances, okay? Really. And whatever y'all give is what pays our bills. And it's been amazing because it's been two and a half years. And you've heard me preach on this, like... At number 27, God says, are you done thinking about money now? Like, like 27 bills in a row paid almost to the money. Okay. So um, what we're doing is um, we're asking if anybody wants to contribute to us going up there. Um, we already dipped into our car fund that we had. We had a little bit saved up, not a lot, and we bought our tickets. So we have our tickets going up there, and we're probably going to stay outside of Portland at least for a night or two. Um, but we still have food, rental car, you know, whatever. Um, somebody prophesied, they're all, because I was telling them, like, I don't think we got the money to go up there. And Bo was actually, like, I have a feeling if you just do this, you'll actually have more money when you get back than you did when you started. And so I'm standing on that, too. I'm, I'm holding on to that. So um, that's really it. I'm not going to pass buckets. We're not going to do anything like that, okay? It's just, that's not what's happening here. Um, but if, my sister that died. Yeah, her, her nephew. So, um, but I know this, that um, her boyfriend just took custody of him for, by her request and um, he ain't poor. And um, and so he's definitely got like money coming out of his ears. And um, and so uh, but he actually is starting to realize as we're having these conversations that I am not this like obstinate weirdo dude that my that my sister was making me out to be to protect her son from me. He's seeing a whole other thing. He's like, you know, Lisa had this thing where she couldn't show her emotions, and I was like, it's a Burkitt thing. I was like. Us Burkitts won historically win awards for showing our emotions. And, um, and so I told him, the last two or three years, God's really been getting to me with that. And, I'm, I'm, and we're having these conversations on a heart level. And he's like, do you have Nicholas's phone number? And I'm like, no. He's like, let me send it to you. Like, I have open, he told me, you have open permission into his life. I'm like, oh. Right? Okay, so his name is Nicholas Burkett. He's, he's starting pitcher um, at 14 years old uh, for a Jesuit up in Portland, which is not a small thing. And, uh, but he is a small thing. He's 5'3 he's right now. And so um, you can pray that he grows and that um, he, he comes to Jesus and, um, and just ask God um, if, there, if this is something that he is actually moving on you to participate in. Okay? That's about as deep as we go as far as asking people to give yours. <laughs> and so we got uh, Vincent with, with $120 for his fixing his motorcycle and his, uh, and his uh, hospital bill for his child. And then we have Katie and I going to Portland. And that's it. All right?
Okay. Great. And so, um, yeah, so uh, I think there was one more thing. Um, oh, wait, I already said it. Okay, yeah, dudes, young men, I don't care if you creak, crack your femur bone in half tomorrow, come to Zach's house at noon. Okay. Okay. Are any of you going to be doing Mother's Day things tomorrow? That's fine. But is there any dude? What about Zach? Zach? He said that. I don't know. Okay. So, like noon to three, and then we're done. Great. He's down. Awesome. Noon to three. Okay. Noon to three. All right. So, hey, buddy. Get him. Just get him. Okay, so um, so tomorrow at Zach's, even if you crack your finger bone in half, if a volcano erupts in Roseville, we will change the location, but we are still meeting tomorrow at noon, okay? I'm saying this because don't be surprised if something comes up. You all of a sudden miraculously want to clean your house. Or whatever, you know what I mean? Don't let anything stop you from coming to Zach's house tomorrow at noon, okay? If you're a young man, and you've already been talked to about this, you know what I mean? Okay. Mother's Day. Yeah. Yes. And so, Eileen, let's give her a good hand. Thank you.